We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. Always fun to talk to Lance Brozdowski. He, of course, with the Marquee Sports Network, the Road to Wrigley show, and he knows all the prospects and all the players inside and out, and he joins us now on the score hotline powered by IBEW Local 9, Chicago's original powerhouse since 1892. Lance, good morning. How are you, buddy? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm doing, I'm doing pretty great. I was supposed to come on yesterday, but it seemed like there was more important news regarding a stadium rather than talking about <laughs> spin rates and exit velocity. So, yeah, I don't know. Not the first priorities, yeah. right? Yeah, I know. Cup <laughs> prospects versus uh, Sox uh, identifking a site in the South Loop. We had to kind of weigh pros and cons, Lance, but uh, we're happy to <laughs> totally talk to you today. It. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they had, uh, you know, listen, all these lists are coming out. And we know the Cubs are are very highly regarded uh, with their players. So uh, Baseball America came out with their top 100 list, and lo and behold, the Cubs, one of two teams, along with the Orioles, to have five prospects in the top 50. That is a lot of really uh, good, well-thought-of players, but it's hardly – uh, how the the limit to how many guys are in this minor league system, and it seems as we sit here and look at uh, what they're going to do and how they, it seems like they've got so many assets they can pretty much do whatever they want. Yeah, I think that's a great encapsulation of what's going on here. I mean, I, I think it's a good example to look at the Michael Bush trade, where the Dodgers had a player in Michael Bush who was blocked and Jed Horace said this at Cubs convention where they just kind of didn't really know where to play him. He mashed at triple a, he was clearly not, there was no reason to keep him at that level. It's just, there was no one nowhere at the major league level to put him, you know, and the Cubs ended up trading a guy in Jackson Ferris, who I really like a left-handed pitcher at IMG Academy. They drafted a couple years ago for Michael Bush. And I think that kind of trade is one that maybe perhaps we see in a couple of years from the Cubs where, they have guys, they have, you know, a middle infielder or a corner outfielder who's blocked at the major league level, but is ready because he's performing at AAA. And they don't really have anything, they have nowhere to put him, so to speak, such that they maybe make a trade like the Dodgers just made with them. You know, I think it is good, it's a good problem to have to have a lot of prospects to the point where maybe one or two of them become extend, uh, expendable. So I'm fascinated to see kind of how they use some of the pieces that, you know, you look at a baseball perspective versus baseball America. Some of these lists, you know, had varying numbers of Cub prospects and also varying Cub prospects. And I think that gets at the point that they have a lot of guys right around, say, that like 75 to 150 overall window of, of prospect lists because most of the people making those lists will go beyond 100. They have a lot of guys in that window that there are varying reports on as to how much, you know, one publication likes them versus another. And that's probably representative of maybe how one organization likes likes a guy versus another. So seeing how those guys kind of are valued by other teams and whether there's a match, I think is 
the key thing to watch uh, in the last, say, 70 or so days before we get into baseball. So the five guys on the list, Pete Crow Armstrong, Cade Horton, Matt Shaw, Michael Bush, Owen Casey, Lance, and you mm-hmm. mentioned the possibility of trading guys, and that could still happen. But if you had to look at those five in the top 50, uh, Pete Crow Armstrong, yeah. Michael Bush, yeah. Are there any other of those other three that you think could see major league time this season? Yeah, yeah. Kate Horn is the name that I think will get some innings this year. Um, I would bet anywhere, maybe maybe around 60 or so innings. And this is, of course, regarding health and a variety of other things. He's coming off a of Tommy John surgery, so he didn't punch a ton last year. But I think it might be kind of leash off, so to speak, this coming season with him for the most part. But he's he's pretty nasty. He's considered one of the top pitching prospects in all of baseball, not just in the Cubs organization. He's 95 plus. He's got a little kind of cut on his fastball, so that's a bit unique. He throws from a higher slot and also has a pretty nasty slider, so it creates a relatively unique look with how that slider works. And you also have the curveball off that. And I was also talking to him and South Bend last year, and we were talking through him kind of trying to develop a changeup. Um, that's probably the key pitch to kind of watch with him. Some of these guys who have nasty sliders and a bit of cut on their fastball have a bit of a tough time creating what you call separation on a changeup or a splitter. He's using like a kind of a fake Gossman-y grip right now with his to try to kill that vertical break and create some drop. Um, and I, I thought the results in it were fine last year. I don't think it's a major league pitch yet. That's probably the key thing to watch is whether he becomes, say, like a frontline guy where it's actually the top of the rotation stuff versus maybe more middle of the rotation. So, And, I mean, he's got time to do it. And he's also tinkered like that slider he has that is the reason he's one of the top 30 or so prospects in all of baseball was a pitch he developed in college. It's not something like Hayden Wisniewski where he's had that almost all his life. So he's a guy that can tinker, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see something new that helps propel him forward uh, in the coming season. So, uh, you know, I just i am curious about how this works. If you're – if you're going to trade a Jackson Ferris, um, is that because, you know, you got Jordan Wicks as a left-handed pitcher who's on the verge of coming up because you like some of your other left-handers? I know they got a young kid in, um, in Drew Gray. Is that sort of how you balance the idea that you got a guy that you like, but you got a chance to get – you know, a left-handed power bat at first base who can't find a spot with another team. Yeah, yeah, that's my read as well. I, 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 In talking to some people inside the Cubs organization, it's my understanding that if this trade did hurt a little bit. Like, Jackson Ferris is a good pitcher, and this is also something they iterated at CubsCon, too. Like, he's good. I, I like him. It's just, A, he's a high school pitcher, so he's probably three or four years off. Those guys routinely have a ton of risk and often take a lot of time to get to the major league level is Jackson Ferris different than that. I guess we'll find out. And the Dodgers will be the team to find that, that out and have the benefit of it. But yeah, if a deal like this hurts for both sides, perhaps, right? Like the Dodgers knew they were giving up a major league bat and Michael Bush and the Cubs knew they were giving up a, one of the top left-handed pitching prospects in all of baseball, you know, and it's like both sides kind of go, I don't know if I want to do that, but in the moment, it makes some sense. Again, the Dodgers needed a 40 man spot and the Cubs probably didn't really need maybe another depth pitching prospect. And we're really looking for a guy like Bush, who you hope over the next three years can accumulate value such that you look back and maybe see Jackson Ferris in four years and go, you know, whatever happens here, I'm okay with because Bush was productive. I, I would have made me feel a little bit better if Bush had more consistent reps and playing time. And there was a bit more pedigree of him at third base, even if he was just like an average defender, I would have been a little more encouraged, but I really think he's a guy that's going to end up slotting in at first base 
potentially DH some time versus right-handed uh, pitching. And I think this, I think the bat's really good. I think that's essentially what they were getting, right? There was clearly some connection there between Dustin Kelly, the Cubs hitting coach, and Michael Bush from both of their time in L.A. So I imagine he played into that acquisition a bit, and maybe they see something adjustment-wise with him that they can un- unlock more pop. Um, but it's a really good hitter for a, a pretty good pitcher that is not going to see the major lease probably for three or four years. And I think the calculus of the decision works for the Cubs' advantage in the short term. So I know you've been hanging out with Bruce a little bit on the Marquee Sports Network set, so you know <laughs> oh, yeah. that Bruce reported that the Cubs are interested in trading for maybe uh, the Guardians' closer, Emmanuel Classe, and that would be expensive. I would think that would be a prospect that you might want to – be very certain that you're willing to part with, but you're getting a lot in return. You're getting a proven closer. And I just wonder when you're talking about the price for proven closers, what kind of caliber of a prospect are we talking about and what might they want from the Cubs? We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Yeah, it's a great question. The problem here is that Class A's deal is is really, really cheap. I mean, I think they have him through – there's a couple of club options at the end of the deal, but he's at least under control for the next three years where they bought out his arbitration. I think the total value over those entire three years is under like $15 million, which is insane given the fact that Josh Hader on the market right now is garnering interest in the $20 million range for one individual year. And Class A has been the best closer in baseball over the last probably three seasons. He's been worked a lot from a usage standpoint, but he has one of the most unique pitches in baseball in that 100-plus-mile-per-hour cutter that literally has no comparison. I think it's just one of the nastiest pitches in baseball. That being said, yeah, the price is going to be really high here. I think, in my opinion, just from looking at who the Cubs might be willing to give up and probably what the Guardians are asking for, I don't necessarily see this getting done. I just Unless the Guardians are more interested in a guy like Ben Brown, I, I think he's a name that's been floated in some other situations as well. He's a guy that isn't doesn't really have the pedigree of a Kate Horton. Ran into some injuries last year. I was actually pretty confident he was going to make a start last year. I think there were two opportunities for Ben Brown to make a start. There was one early in the year where Caleb Killian took the ball in Miami versus the Marlins, um, and Ben Brown did not make that start. They kept him down. And then later in the year when Jordan Wicks came up, I actually think that was Ben Brown's chance. But again, he was injured. He had an oblique injury. I talked to him at CubsCon, Ben Brown, and he seems like he's doing really well. He seems like he's healthy. So I'm not sure whether a team is, you know, a, a team looking at the Cubs' depth is totally convinced of that. Maybe they want to see him on the mound for another 60, 70 innings. He's, he's a good pitcher. I, I think he's got perhaps some oddities with his fastball that are giving him a bit of trouble at AAA, but he's got a, a pretty funky curveball that works really well. It's just, I don't think he holds the pedigree of a Kate Horton. So if you're the Guardians and you're looking at Ben Brown, you know, do you really want him? If, if that's the starting point for the Cubs, I don't think that maybe gets the deal done for the Guardians, especially looking at how well they de- develop velocity in the minor leagues. I don't, I don't, I'm not totally convinced they need kind of more starting pitching. They have a ton of guys right now between AAA and the majors. They have a lot of depth, and Ben Brown would just fit right into that. So maybe they were a team that was looking at a guy like Jackson Ferris, right? Like, I, I, we don't know how those conversations go, but 
if I'm the Guardians, I probably want a guy who's not on the 40 man like Ben Brown is, and who's a little bit deeper down in the system that we know we can develop and maybe get even more velocity out of, and then three, four years down the road, it works. But perhaps the Cubs prefer to Bush over a guy like Class A. I, again, I don't think it maybe was just Jackson Ferris for Class A, given how beautiful that contract is from a value standpoint right now. So I, that's probably where my brain starts on it is like, are they willing to give up a Ben Brown? But I think it's more about whether the Guardians are willing to take a guy like Ben Brown. And if they don't want to take a guy like Ben Brown, then I, I think you're packaging multiple prospects together or you're looking at the top end of the prospects. I just don't think the Cubs are willing to give up. So my bet right now is that I just don't think this Class A deal gets done. I don't think any team gets it done. I just think it's going to require too many prospects. It, it's um, it's fascinating to look at this stuff. We were talking last week about, um, uh, about Brennan Davis. And at one yeah. point he was like, the number one prospect on the verge of coming up. And then he got that weird back. It wasn't a back issue. It was like a, it was some sort of a, a an issue. Blood vessels. Blood yeah. vessels. Yeah. But in his back, whatever. Uh, and he needed some surgery and that slowed his role. Um, we had a conversation when they got Michael Bush about how everyone was excited that Matt Mervis was coming up at one point. Another left-handed uh, power bat mm-hmm. at first base, and obviously that didn't work out. How 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 do you explain? And I guess I guess Mervis is like a year younger than Bush, but but I'm just asking, how do you explain when we look at these guys and are waiting on guys who actually breaks through and who doesn't? And you know, you have as we talk about the depth in the organization. Do you have to be patient to see? who's somehow the more competitive person or the guy that adapts quicker or, you know, you, you can lay it out all you want and feel like this is the most talented player. And then there could be another guy that somehow emerges and passes that guy up. Yeah. This, it, this prospecting world is one, I think one of the most difficult aspects of baseball. You could argue that like projecting major league players is a bit more difficult, but especially on the public side like us, the data isn't as available and you just run into variance with guys, right? Like it's, it's hard to determine what's of what one guy is doing in the minor leagues at a certain level, whether, you know, the underlying stats on it are good enough such that that exact skill will manifest in the same way at the major league level. And that's not even considering the mental element that some of these guys have. You talk to any of these cup prospects and you can see variations in the maturity and, you know, how much grit they have and how they are on mound versus off mound, for example. And like those things probably play into it as well. I'm not entirely sure how much, but I imagine in rooms as they talk about prospects, like they care about that stuff. They care about Moxie on the mound. They care about, you know, background and, and, you know, how's he with his teammates? And it's hard, it's almost, it's harder probably to get that information than it is to get some of the data and, and the scout perspective. I think what we've run into in a lot of these situations is that, you know, all teams have similar data on minor league prospects. And I think that creates a bit more difficulty in these deals where every team is thinking similarly, such that you need almost an incongruence of thinking in order for a trade to get done. And perhaps that's how you get like the Bush Ferris deal, which you don't see a lot of prospects for a prospect where again, that's more of a timeline thing as opposed to evaluation. I think teams probably had the same evaluation on both those guys, but it just didn't line up. So trades become more about situation fit rather than actually what they think of the prospect. But I I do think you run into situations where one individual team 
gets a guy, you know, like a, like an Isak Paredes. I know this is kind of going to the American League, but he went from the Tigers to the Rays, and Rays made, Rays made an adjustment, and the guy hits 25-plus home runs. Or, you know, there's probably other situations where a team has better access and ability to apply something on the biomechanics side, how a guy moves, they see an easy adjustment there. Or they think a guy's mix isn't correct, and they want him throwing this particular kind of splitter or another different kind of change that they think could really help him, and he goes to another org. That stuff is generally where I think you end up with most trades happening, and it's partially because, you know, in that calculus, the receiving organization of, organization of that prospect is taking probably a pretty big risk that their assumption is correct on what they want to adjust with the guy and how much better they'll make him. So. This world is really difficult. I mean, I encourage you to go back and look at any list from like 2021 and just look how different it is and look at, you know, guys who are probably in the 30 to 50 window that are now consensus top 20 pitchers or players in Major League Baseball. And then look at another guy in the top 10 who you don't even know the name of because he didn't even make it. So I, I wish I could explain to you, you know, why each of these guys doesn't make it. But it's a, it's a variety of reasons. Um, sometimes I honestly think it goes back to the mental side. Other times... I do think organizations will kind of tell you what they think of a prospect by acquisitions around that player. That's more of a subtle thing. But mm. if you if, say, for example, you have like a first baseman and then the team goes out and acquires a first baseman in the offseason or something like that, even if it's an older guy, and they're like, oh, we want to give this guy time. I mean, look at what the Orioles do, for example, with their guys. They don't go out and acquire other players to, to block off the guys they think will be major league talents. Like they find spots for those guys. And I think that's the Orioles organization telling you they're confident their prospects are good. And perhaps another organization that goes out and acquires a guy for which they already have prospects at that position that maybe they aren't totally convinced this guy's the next best thing. So you have a lot of variance in all these situations and it's really hard to place. Great stuff, Lance. Appreciate the insight in the background. Thanks buddy. Always. Thanks for having me. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.